booked and short notice that we needed to move in here. So we weren't in Sumner's Hall the first time. And I thought, oh, man, you know, all of these things were happening. And God very clearly spoke to me and just said, get back to the basics of Bible study. That's why you're here. That's why you come. Even if you're here for the first time because someone invited you and you don't really in your core know why you're here, that's why you're here. Because the Word of God is living and active. And because we've grown to the size that was no longer sustainable at River Oaks, that's not indicative of my sense of humor or Sylvia's ability to keep things spinning or Cheryl's ability to make all the checks and balances work. That's because the Word of God is living and active. And he says when you speak it, when you, when you share the Word of God, it's not going to return void. And it hasn't. And that's why we're all here. And so here's the thing. This is as casual as it gets. You come in your workout clothes, come in your pajamas, you come dressed to the nines. We don't care. We just want you to come. You will always feel at home here. We'll be at Sumner's Hall, typically right across the way. It's a beautiful facility, but we're, if we're in the gym, that's great too. If we're downstairs, that's okay too. Why? Because the Word of God is going to be the same in any location. So we're just thrilled that you're here, and I'm grateful that you're on this journey with us because this has definitely been a God-led journey. And I want to tell you just quickly as we jump into the Scriptures because we're going to look at Second uh, Corinthians 1.20, which is the, we're going to look at the entire passage really starting in verse 12. But we're going to look at how the name came to be. But it was really interesting the way it started. I don't know if any of you have had this experience. I'm sure you have in your life where you're just going along and you're kind of making decisions and something happens and all of a sudden it catches you off guard and you recognize God has been the one leading the whole time. Have you ever had that happen where you think, I'm just making a decision that we're going to have spaghetti for dinner and then we're going to go to Ben's uh, baseball game and then we're going to come home and then all of a sudden you realize you're at this game and then you meet someone and you have this great conversation and God is present and you think, this is the, we almost skipped the game. And you take a step back and you're like, God is moving. He is intimately involved in the intricate details of your life and my life. Sometimes I'm awake and alert to notice it, and sometimes I just bypass it. But when it came to naming this ministry, it was something that God made very clear to me. And when we met right before we were ending our last semester, our early spring semester at um, River Oaks, we knew that we were in a place that was no longer sustainable. So we knew, okay, either God is kind of winding this thing down and that we had a great run and we're going to just kind of close shop or he's going to move us because we knew we couldn't stay at River Oaks. And so we started praying about it. And I, in my own time with the Lord and in my own spirit, began to pray for weeks before we ended that study. I knew and sensed a change was coming. And St. John's kept coming to in my head, but I didn't know why I'd not been here I'd not ever been to Sumner's Hall. I'd never come over. I think, I don't, I don't even know how. Anyway, it was just coming to my mind. So I just kind of started praying about that. And my thought was, Lord, confirm that. If that's you, affirm it. And two weeks before we ended last semester, Janie came up to me and said, Laura, where's Janie? She said, Laura, you need to be at St. John's. That's not how you talk really, but she's very astute and just, you need to be at St. John's. And when, I, when she said that to me, I just, there was something that clicked in my spirit. And I knew that God was trying to affirm this for me. The last week of the study, we had several of you St. John girls there. Robin was one of them. Kim Grant introduced me to Robin, and she said, I work at St. John's. I think you really ought to consider coming over. And then that's how the ball started rolling. So our first meeting over here, Sylvia and Cheryl and I met with Kim, and we met with Robin. 
and we met Father Clay, we met um, Jan, we met several of the staff, Matt, we met Matt, and we were talking, and everything was just a, a green light, green light, green light, and my prayer coming is that Cheryl and Sylvia and I would all have unity, that we'd all sense this was the Lord's leadership. So when I was driving home, I was on cloud nine. I just it was, I had one of those moments where I stepped outside of myself during the meeting, and I thought, Lord, who am I? Who are we that you would care so much about us, that you would look down on us in our little spot on this planet, and you would see to it that we're cared for in such a way that we could have never, ever dreamed. We didn't even, you were answering prayers we didn't even know to ask. You see, we didn't want to move far from River Oaks because we know it's a central spot for working girls. So we had a lot of stipulations. It needed to be big enough to hold us, cheap enough that we can afford it, and it needed to be close enough so that you could come. And God's like, babe, I got, I'm doing this. I'm doing this thing. And so I just had one of those moments where the Lord just peeled it back and said, I'm involved here. This is my deal. You're just along for the ride, Laura. This does not weigh on your shoulders. So I left, and I was driving home, and I called Jason, my husband, who you'll get to meet at some point. And I was just telling him. I couldn't quit talking. I was just, la, 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 la. And um, when we were leaving in the parking lot to Cheryl and Sylvia, I said, okay, we gotta, we got to pray and think of a name. But I think it should be one word, one syllable, not like all the women that jump for joy are coming for lunch ministry. You know, it's not, I didn't want it to be some big, long, flowery, hard-to-say name and remember name. I wanted it to be something that was easy to remember. So I was driving home, and I'm just telling Jason about the day and just about how great the meeting went. And he said, you know what, he said, everything that you're saying, Laura, the word that keeps coming to me, and I hadn't told him about the name yet or what I wanted, and he said, the word is yes. Just God is saying yes to you. He's saying yes to what he's doing, and in turn, you're saying yes back to him. You're saying, okay, we're going to follow you. And I thought, yes, but that's a weird name. So I kept sitting on it, and I was like, I don't know, Lord, you got to affirm that. And then he led me to the passage that you see on the screen, 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, the yes to all of God's promises is in Christ. And through Christ, we say yes to the glory of God. And that was it. And I knew that that was the, that was the name. And so we've never looked back. That's been the name. But what's been extra sweet for me is as I've really studied this entire passage of Scripture, God once again has peeled back the curtain and shown me, you think the name just came to you, you think Jason just said it, but babe, I've been working all along. Because what I've discovered as I've studied this passage is that this passage of Scripture communicates our heart as to why we're even doing this ministry. It's everything. And so what I want to do is I want to jump into it now so that you will catch the vision and understand. Listen, the reason we sell t-shirts is twofold. One, we need to raise money. But two, we want this we want the ministry's word to get out. We want women to come. We were at a place where we couldn't invite friends anymore because we literally didn't have capacity. And now we've got room, so spread out and bring your friends because they need to hear the word of God. They need to know the living and active word of God, that God loves them. And so I want to jump in and I want to look at uh, 2 Corinthians. We're in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Now here's the thing. I'm going to jump in and start, and this passage will seem weird, and it won't seem like it fits, but you just keep walking through it with me, and you're going to go, ah, okay, yes, 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 yes. All right. So what I love is I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and the subtitle of this section of the, of the chapter says, Paul's Change of Plans. 
which is perfect because here's the backdrop. Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth is much like Houston. It's a bustling city. It's got a lot of affluence in it. There is a handful of Christians that have just been converted and are starting a church. Paul has already been there, started the church. He came back through on his way to Macedonia. And on his way there, on that initial visit, when he's on his way to Macedonia, he meets with them, talks to them, and he says, okay, I'm going to Macedonia, and I'm going to turn around. I'm going to come back, so you're going to get two blessings. I'm going to bless you now, and then I'm going to come back and see you again, and then you're going to bless me as I go on to Judea. And so the church in Corinth said, okay, and that was the plan. Have you ever had a, 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 a curveball come into your life, and you thought you had the plan set, and then a change of plans come your way, and they're brought on by someone that's not you. You didn't get to decide about the change of plans, and you're mad. Has that ever happened? I cannot relate to that at all. No, that happens all the time. So that's what's happened. So Paul is headed to Macedonia, and then he, by the unction of the Holy Spirit, is told not to go back to Corinth. So instead he writes a letter. Well, it did not go well with the church in Corinth. They are mad, but, but beyond mad, they are bewildered and they are losing trust. So they have begun to accuse Paul of being fickle and wishy-washy and not worthy of their trust. And in turn now, they're questioning Jesus. They're questioning, is God faithful? Is he worthy of our trust? They're turned upside down. And we'll see why. It sounds like they've overreacted. But as we jump in, we'll see why in just a second. So that's where we are. That's the backdrop. As Paul's writing this letter, he is about to address their anger toward him. And he says in verse 12, he says, We can say um, with confidence, meaning him, Silas, and Timothy, his, his posse, he says, We can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness. Another translation says integrity. And sincerity in all of our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. And this is how we have conducted ourselves before the world and especially toward you. Our letters have been straightforward and there is nothing written between the lines and nothing that you can't understand. He said, I hope someday you'll fully understand us even if you don't understand us now. Then on the day when the Lord Jesus returns, you will be proud of us in the same way that we are proud of you. So what Paul is doing in this first section of the chapter is he's saying, listen, I understand where you're coming from. You're mad. You're mad and you think that I'm no longer trustworthy. But let me tell you, I have only dealt toward you with integrity. I have a pure conscience. I promise you I am not yanking your chain." But all of a sudden, they don't know if they can trust him or not. And as I was writing this this week, anytime I'm in the Word and I'm studying, God always makes me the student first. And so as I'm writing this, I'm trying to get in their head and trying to understand why they're so upset with Paul. It's like, dude, it was a change of plans. But they are mad, mad, mad. And it was interesting. I thought they went from zero to 60 like that. And just as I'm kind of processing that in my mind, it is Friday night, and I am talking to my dear, one of my dearest friends, Jessica. And Jessica and her son, Dylan, and my son, Ben, are 
literally like brothers. They have been best friends since they were three years old. They do everything together. And then there's two more that have joined the group, Garrett and Walker. So these four boys are like a posse. They're all in the same class this year. They do everything together. So I'm on the phone with Jessica Friday. What are y'all doing this evening? We don't have any plans. We're just going to stay home. What are y'all doing? She said, well, Dylan's not here, but we're just going to stay in too, blah, blah, blah. Then she calls me back a little later, and we're talking about something unrelated, and she mentions Dylan's not there. And I said, where is he? And she, she, it's like she bypassed that question and just went on to something else. I didn't think anything of it. So we hung up the phone. And I'm going to bed that night, and I am looking at my phone, and I'm scrolling through Facebook. And this is where social media will bite you in the rear end is lo and behold, here's a picture of Walker, Garrett, and Dylan at the Rice-Baylor football game. Just love and life. They're just like this. And my son is asleep right next to me. And y'all, I know, I know. And here's the thing. Here is how I went from zero to 60 in less than 60 seconds. It felt like a gut punch to me. I thought, why was Ben not included? Why was he not invited to this? And all of a sudden, it was just like this overwhelming hurt I had for Ben came over me. But here's, the, here's where it jumped from there. Why wouldn't Jessica tell me that? She withheld that from me. I asked her. She said, Dylan's not here. And I asked her, and she, did, she just avoided it. She purposely did not tell me. Then I jumped to the place, is she trustworthy? Zero to 60. Is she trustworthy? Why? Because I was totally caught off guard and something hit me in the face and it was a simple picture. But what it represented was my son is left out. Have you ever been left out? Have you ever been left out? That's painful. That's painful when I'm left out, but it is doubly painful if you have kids and they are left out. And here I go jumping. Now, y'all, Jessica has been... There's not a truer friend, probably. There are, but she's one of the best. She has given me zero track record to doubt her. Zero track record to doubt her. And in 60 seconds, I'm not sure if I can trust her anymore. Zero. She has withheld. She has lied. She is wrong. And in a moment's notice, the Spirit reminded me, I'm judging the church in Corinth. I'm going, you guys are overreactionary. And God's like, really? Really? You can't relate to that at all. Because you never overreact, Laura. I had totally overreacted. Totally. Now, just so you'll know, we worked it out. We talked about it. It was a total misunderstanding. Whatever. It's all good. But in the moment, I'm telling you, I lost sleep over it. And that's just that example. Have you ever had your spouse tell you he's going to be somewhere and then that's not where he was? Have you ever had a best friend tell you that that haircut really is good and then you found out later, she's like, have you seen her hair? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm making light of it, but we've all been jilted by people in our lives. We have all set ourselves up to trust and then something's happened and we've been, it's like our, our knees, the rug has been pulled out from under us or we've been cut off at the knees And no longer, it's like, that hurts. I don't know that I can trust you again. I remember when I was 11 years old and I was eating breakfast and my mom turns off the TV and says, girls, I got to tell you something. Your dad and I are separating. And it felt like, where did that come from? And a little seed was planted. Be on guard. Be on guard. 
not everyone is trustworthy. That is true. But what I did is I took that a little deeper and I thought, no one's trustworthy. And what I also did without even being aware of it is I thought, I don't know that you're trustworthy, God, because you allowed that to happen to me. And that's what's happening at the church in Corinth. One of the commentators I read said, the Corinthian Christians were so used to dealing with ministers who were calculating and manipulative, so they figured that Paul must be the same way. Therefore, when Paul said he was coming to them in, the, in Corinthians, that was in the chapter 1 of Corinthians when he said, I'll be back, but he didn't come back, they figured that he was just manipulating them too. You see, what happens in our lives is we live in a world that in a lot of ways is a battlefield. It's a battlefield, and I'm going to teach on that next week, and you, you want to be here next week. But what happens is we walk through this life, and we don't come out unscathed. And the shrapnel hits, and the wounding starts at a young age. At a young age, you get left out, your parents get divorced, your dad's not present, somebody hurts you, and all of a sudden you begin to build up, build up a wall of mistrust, and you think, I don't know who I can trust, and I certainly don't know that I can trust you, Lord. Even though I've been, at, some of us have been even at this church all of our lives, but we've heard the good news, we've heard about Christ, but we don't really know that his yes means yes, and we don't really know that our yes back means yes. Typically, it's yes if you prove that you're trustworthy. And we're always kind of walking on eggshells with people and with God. And that was the church in Corinth. I was reading some, I was kind of doing some research on trust. And I found a website that said the top 25 reasons to lose trust in someone or something or a group of people. The number one reason is a failure to keep promises, agreements, and commitments. A failure to keep promises, agreements, and commitments. So Paul has gone to Macedonia promising he's going to come back. And I don't know that he promised. He just said, I'm going to come back. And then he didn't. And now all of a sudden he's on trial. He's not trustworthy. So Paul continues in the first section I just read. He's validating that they're mad. He recognizes it. He's calling it on the carpet. This is also a great passage in conflict resolution. And so he's calling it out. He's saying, here's what it is. I know that you're mad. Verse 15, though, he goes on to say, since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, what Paul is saying in that moment is, I just thought that you knew me. I thought that you understood my heart. He said, I wanted to give you a double blessing by, by visiting you twice, first on my way to Macedonia, and then again when I returned from Macedonia, and then you could send me on my way to Judea. So Paul's caught off guard by their reaction. And he's saying, here's, here's the original plan. I was going to do that. And then in 17, he says, you may be asking why I changed my plan. Yeah, they are. They're asking. Actually, though, they're probably not even asking. They're just assuming you did it because you're not trustworthy. You're flaky. We knew it all along. We're moving on without you. And he says, then Paul says, do you think that I make my plans carelessly? Do you think that I'm like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. Do you know someone in your life whose yes doesn't really mean yes? 
whose no doesn't really mean yo, no, marriages fall apart because of this very issue. Trust is the only thing that really will bind a relationship and make it intimate, is trust. That goes for our relationship with the Lord. Do you trust him? Do you trust how he feels about you? Do you trust, do, do you trust him in his dealings with you? Better yet, do you trust the Lord in his dealings with your children, with your loved ones, with those you hold most dear? Do you trust him? Paul is saying, my yes means yes, and my no always means no. So when I said yes to you, I meant yes. I didn't say yes in the back of my head thinking, I don't think I'm going to really do that. How many commitments have you made? I'll be at that party unless I feel like not going. I'm coming to Bible study. Mm, I don't really know. Verse 19, he says, For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. He's saying, listen, forget me. He knows that they've taken this to the nth degree and that they're not only questioning him, but they're questioning God. And he's saying, here's the thing. We didn't come to you in human wisdom. We came through the grace of God. And so our yes means yes, not because we've got it all together, but because God is working through us. We are men of integrity. You can trust us. But most importantly, you can trust the Lord Jesus. He is faithful. He is faithful. And in other words, he is for you. He's for me. His yes means yes, and his no means no, and he does not waver. He does not waver. Some of us are tripped up because we don't know what he has yet said yes to, and we don't know what he has said no to. And we spend most of our time praying about things that are surface in our lives, make this better, fix that, change that, make sure this works out, direct me here. And when things don't go our way because we still want to be in control, then God is not trustworthy. God is not trustworthy. And so he, we feel like God is shifting sand. I don't know if I can trust him. It's like, well, you don't really know what he has said yes to. Does it say in Scripture, does it tell me in Scripture that my kids are going to outlive me? Has he promised me that? Is that the promise I'm holding on to? What has he promised me? What has he promised? When God says all of my yes, all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus, what are the yeses? What are the yeses? That's what we've got to know. And Paul is saying, I'm not, he's not getting into all of that yet, but what he is saying is that here's what I can tell you about Jesus. He doesn't waver. He is a God that you can take to the bank. I am staking my life on him. And he is a God that does not shift back to and fro. He's not fickle. He's not false. He's not a liar. He is a God of great character. And so is Paul, and so is Timothy, and so is Silas. He is trustworthy. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forever. He never changes. He never changes. So I have to view everything in my life through that lens. You see, we have the lens in our life that, that my life is what matters most. And so typically the lens that I wear, the glasses that I wear are God is trustworthy if this goes well. 
and the lens, the glasses that we're going to put on this semester is the truth. And the truth is God is trustworthy. So I'm going to view this crisis in my life through that lens. He's trustworthy. I don't understand this. I don't like it. If it were up to me, I would have changed it. But you are trustworthy and you are good. And so I'm taking that to the bank and I'm going to trust that you're going to make this all work out for good. And somehow you're going to sustain me in the middle of it. When I think that I'm going under and I think I'm all alone and I think that I cannot handle this and when I feel out of control, you promise me that you will never leave me or forsake me. You promise me that all things work together for good. You promise me that you've got me in the palm of your hand and no one can snatch me out of it. I am secure. Why? Because you said yes to that through Christ. So that's going to cause me to take a deep breath even when my circumstances are crazy. Why? Because we live in a battleground, and it's called a sinful, fallen world. And so the thought that I have that I'm going to skate through life, and if God loves me, he's going to prove it in a way that everything moves up and to the right. My kids are healthy. They're great. They're well-behaved. They love me. They always think that I'm cool. My husband thinks I'm adorable no matter what. Our bank account is always fat. If all of that continues on, I'm emotionally stable all the time, regardless of what my hormones are doing. I'm always never hot flashing, never any of that. Then God is good. Then he's trustworthy. Listen, we're not going to get very far. We are not going to get very far. And so the Corinthians have experienced what it's like to walk in a fallen world. They have been wounded at the hand of ministers. You have too. I have. They have been wounded. You've been wounded at the hand of your parents. You've been wounded at the hand of your spouse, your best friends. Groups of people. And listen, if you're not careful, you're like the Corinthians and you're like me. I jumped from zero to 60 like that. And I thought, whoa, whoa, what's going on? I had to drill a little deeper and go, okay, deal with me on this Lord and he has but it always goes back to the overreaction is always a signal it's a pointer to a deeper rooted belief not that Jessica my friend isn't trustworthy not that Paul's not trustworthy but God are you trustworthy it always roots back down to God and we'll see that next week so Paul is saying God's ultimate yes is he always does what he says he always does what he says In verse 20, this is our anchor verse. It says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. Who is Christ? He's the sacrificial lamb of God. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins and my sin so that I now can be reunited and reconnected with God the Father. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is how God has fulfilled every single one of his promises through Christ. Through Christ. His promises are not fulfilled because I behave correctly. His promises are not fulfilled because I serve really well. His promises toward me are not fulfilled because I'm cute or sweet or whatever it is. His promises are fulfilled in Christ. In Christ. And we're going to talk about that this semester. He says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Yes. How many of us have developed a mindset that we're not sure that God's not really an ogre? 
He could be a killjoy. You know, for years I thought God is like broccoli. You know, he's good for you, but he doesn't taste good. Listen, whatever's the most decadent thing in your life, you haven't even dreamed enough. Whatever that chocolate mousse cake that you can't not eat, chips and queso for me, I haven't even tasted good yet. God is a God of abundance. He's a God of blessing. He's a God of joy. He's a God of acceptance, and we're going to look at that this semester. But he says all of his promises find fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And then it says, and through Christ our amen, which also means yes, ascends to the glory of God. There's two parts in this that I want to hit on, and then we'll close. The first part is God's yes to me. God's yes to you, God's yes to me, fulfilled in Christ, like I just said. This semester, we're going to look at what are his yeses. A a few of them I'll talk about, I'll just mention right now. One is, do you love me, God? Yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Do you accept me? Yes. Will you help me change? Will you change me? Yes. Will you give me power to serve you? Yes. Will you keep me? Yes, that means am I securing you? Yes, and will you show me who you are? Yes, 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 yes. But then the second half of that verse, oh, this is a quote I read that I thought was so good. It says, all of the promises and all of the blessings of God in the heavenly places are yes in Christ Jesus. Jesus is God's decisive yes to all who believe. And he says, every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all of his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all of his promises. Let me say that again. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ, through Christ, with all of his needs, all of our mess, all of our insecurities, all of our jacked up stuff, all of that, we come to God in Christ and we look up and we find him running to us through Christ with all of his promises. That thing that you think is going to count you out, I'm coming to you with a promise and it's forgiveness. That thing that you think that makes you unacceptable, I'm coming to you with my promise of, yes, you're accepted. You are loved. But the second part of the verse is that in turn, we say yes to God, the resounding amen to the glory of God. And this is where we'll talk a lot this semester as well, is that it's a two-part verse. One is God saying yes to us, but so many of us have sat in church or been in Bible study or been in our Western Christian culture, and we've heard the yeses. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But we are still on the fence about our yes back to him. So many of us are questioning, I just don't know. I don't know if I'm going to say yes. And the reason we're hesitant is because of some of the wounds we've experienced along the way at the hand of others that we have propelled onto God, projected onto him. She hurt me. She's not trustworthy. That, that means I'm not sure that you're trustworthy. My parents' divorce was wounding, wounding. I projected that onto God without even knowing it. You're wounding. You're not trustworthy. How could a good God allow that to happen in my life? Fair question. Fair question. But many of us don't ever take the time to answer it, or we jump to the conclusion like the Corinthians, like I do, and we just think, well, he's just not trustworthy. So I'm just going to go about my way. I'll still go to church, but I'm going to stay guarded. I'm going to stay guarded. And God is saying to you and to me, listen, I've already fulfilled the yeses to you. They're fulfilled in Christ. I've proven it to you. I'm waiting on you to say yes back to me. 
And that's where the good stuff happens. When we say yes to God and we step out and we say, Lord, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to trust it no matter what, then your life takes off. That's when the adventure happens. That's when you move from that cold pew to a warm, fire, burning, passionate love affair with God. I have been in both places. You don't want to sit there in that pew. You'll just get tired. You'll just leave. You may not. So I've seen people that have sat there their whole life, and God forbid you sit in their spot. They're not giving up their spot, but they are cranky. I'm like, if you are going to be populating heaven, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So this is where we get our name. As I start reading through this, I thought, you know, we've sat together and we've talked a lot about kind of the vision. What is our mission statement? To draw all women to Christ. Okay, what does that really mean? There's a heartbeat behind it. The heartbeat behind it is this passage, is that God is saying yes to you, and our heartbeat is that you would say yes to him. And if we can be used to facilitate that next step for you, God let it happen to your glory. Listen, we have zero expectations of you. We don't care what your Bible looks at, how big it is, what kind of quilted cover you have. We do not care what kind of car you drive. Just go look at mine. You're going to feel better about yourself. I don't care what you wear. I don't care if you choose to put on makeup or not. It just doesn't matter. What we care about is that you begin to understand through the living, active Word of God that He loves you, that He says yes to you, and in turn, you're going to take the risk and say, I'm going to say yes back. And it may mean that yes is just a shift in your mind. I'm going to stop believing this about myself, and I'm going to begin to believe the truth. For others, i got to step out. i got to do what he's been asking me to do for years, and I've just been too afraid. But that is why we get up in the morning. That is why we come here. That is why we set the tables. That's why we put these things on. That's why we have Jason's death. That's why we do all of this, so that you can be freed up to listen and to hear, maybe for the first time, that God is saying yes to you, and in turn, he's longing for you to say yes back. He will never force your yes. Never. This is the semester that you're going to say yes in a fresh way that you didn't even know was coming, was coming. Verse 21, and I'll close, it says, It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. It's God who does this, not us. He has commissioned us. Praise God. He's commissioned all of us. And he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised to us. Verse 23, now, Paul says, I call upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. The reasons I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. See, the church in Corinth, Corinth, they were a hot mess. And so that first trip, he was kind of having to come to Jesus with them. And then on the way back, he thought, I'm just going to send a letter It'll be less scathing if I do so. He was trying to grant mercy to them, but he says, but that doesn't mean that we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so you will be full of joy, for it is by your own faith that you stand firm. Let me tell you, this is the heartbeat of this ministry. We do not want to dominate your faith. We will never tell you how to think. We will never tell you how to believe. We will present the word of God and trust the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But what we do want to do is what Paul wanted to do. We want to work together with you 
so that you're going to be full of joy, for it is by your own faith that you stand firm. It's not by my faith. It's not by Sylvia's faith. It's by your own faith that you stand firm. So this semester, our prayer is that we will work together with you, and that as a result, together, we will be full of joy. We will stand firm in our faith, and we will say yes back to him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your spirit's power that is present today. Father, we thank you that you love us, that you have said yes through the bloodshed of your own son. And we ask, Lord, would you open our mind and heart this semester to receive your good news. Back to the glory for you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, ladies. That's it. We'll see you. Yes. Everyone say yes. We'll see you next week. Bring your friends.